Hello and a Halloweeny welcome to this very spooky special episode of the Crate and Crowbar. It is episode 301 being recorded on I had to check for some reason. <laughs> Halloween, uh, the 31st of October, 2019. My name's Marsh Davis. I'm joined tonight by none other than artist and wizard, John Roberts. Thank you, artist Marsh Davis. Thank you. Yeah, last week we had uh, a full podcast. All five of these microphones were in use. Mm, uh, and now experience... they all died. Well, yes. Well, <laughs> the experience was so ghastly that one of them fucking emigrated, <laughs> apparently. So I went to Canada, and I assume everyone else has gone to Canada in the same way that my pets go to Canada. (laughs) Well, actually, yes. uh, Alex has crossed to the other side of the (laughs) Bristol Channel. He's in Wales. And uh, Tom, our senior, always a liminal figure, uh, has now fully dematerialized and can no longer be contacted. And Chris and Pip have um, both climbed into the big old hole in the old oak and uh, made themselves a nest out of... Uh, old bits of cardboard and Citadel miniatures. <laughs> and uh, they will stay there during the cold months Snuggle until down the thaw. The winter. How nice. Yeah. But, um, of course, I remain because that is my curse. Mm. And it's a great pleasure to have you with me in this Thanks. benighted hole. <laughs> <laughs> what it's, is... Uh, what's... A particularly spooky yet intimate setting. It is, yeah. In this big echoey room, we hope we will not be accosted by... The Urteen, uh, <laughs> knocking on our door for sweeties later in the evening. Oh, there's a lot of them about. I haven't seen any, thankfully, but I did think about turning all the lights off and hiding <laughs> in the back room. So, um, what's been going on in those, those PC games that people like to play these days, John? I hear there's things. I don't know what else has happened, but my particular favorite bit of news is that, uh, there is class warfare in Fallout 76. How so? Uh, I think we, you guys mentioned the first subscription service. Mm. It's like a pre, I think it ridiculous amount of money, uh, like $10 a month or $100 a year or something like that, which unlocks a lot of, um, premium, uh, gameplay mechanics that will set, uh, your prestigious subscriber apart from the thronging masses. Uh, but apparently it also marks you out. I think your HUD, uh, icon when people uh, look at you has an extra like little prestigious icon. Uh-huh. Uh, Is it like a target symbol? <laughs> it may as well be because there's been multiple stories of uh, un- or non-subscribers hunting down the premium subscribers, <laughs> griefing or trolling them out of some delightful sense of class. For there was a great story of um, someone performing one of the prestigious or premium. E- like dance emotes in a non-premium location Ooh. and being beset by six or seven characters dressed up in like fuzzy bear suits <laughs> and just pummeled <laughs> until they left. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that says, if that's good or bad, but it's yeah, funny have, as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I have um, I've mixed emotions about it. On the one hand, there's nothing really wrong with paying for a subscription to yeah. a computer game, even a bad one, if you Obviously, want to. It had value for some people, mm. so. Yeah. I do like how that's mutated into eat the rich, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what an appropriate reaction for these, these tormented times. I know. I mean, apt. when Bethesda started this, they said everything they were going to be doing, this was their experiment into like mm. massively multiplayer games. And I can only assume that's still running. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, what else? EA is on Steam now. Yeah, were they not? Oh no, they have their own launcher, don't they? 
Yeah, yeah, the Origin. Um, yeah, which I had to think about because it's been so long since I yeah, booted they, it up. They were but, on Steam for a while, weren't they? And then they went away. Yeah, they took to make all, a lot of money. Took all their balls with them. Um, but then I assume I don't know what uh, what deal has been made behind the scenes, but they have their not only are their games coming back, but I believe their subscription service is now going to be available through Steam. Hmm. Um, which sort of suggests that Steam is not going to do its own if it's allowing third-party subscriptions to appear on its service. Mm. I think, is this a response to Epic Store and a bit more of a balanced marketplace as well? Are they going to turn up on the Epic Store 2? Well, I do wonder if EA said, look, Steam, we're going to, we're going to do this <laughs> deal with Epic unless you uh, give us a bit of a, yeah. a bit of sugar. And Steam gave them some sugar, I guess. I wonder if they've got a custom percentage on their games because mm. Epic is definitely lower. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the big balls of EA were able to negotiate their percentage up. Yeah. Yeah. And the other Steam news is that the Steam library has now been rolled out to everybody. The new Steam library. Have you? Yes. Do you have feelings about this? Uh, I do because I had to make uh, 4K images oh, for God. it. <laughs> Yeah, I've looked at the requirements. I mean, the requirements on Steam for the different images you need in order to be on the store were already ridiculously stupid. It's already dumb and hateful and drives everyone insane. And then uh, a couple of months ago, they said, oh, we've changed all the formats again. And Mm. now you need to re-render all your promotional art because it's four times the size that it was before. And also fit all your stuff into portraits rather than landscape images, which is... It's terrible times for artists. <laughs> yeah, I can't quite see. Uh, I just haven't read a, read about it, basically. But I, just my initial reaction to it accosting me today is that I can't quite see what what user case, what new user cases it fulfills. Like, um, hmm. I know it's more customizable. But it seems to. I guess I don't use those features. It seems to promote Steam reviews a lot more. Right. It's right there on the games page as you select your game. It's mm. like, do you recommend this? Thumbs up, thumbs down, and so on. Yes, yeah. Might be seeking to get a bit more um, feedback going. Um, I'm sure they had this before, but a feature I quite like, actually, is um, they have uh, the achievements on them now. There's a small selection of them, which has percentages of the player base who's got them, right. which I'm sure was data that you could get because Tom's talked about it before, but I'm not sure if it was hidden in the back end. Mm. But it's quite nice to just have a snoop and see, oh, I've got one that like 3.6% of players have got. Mm. Uh, Oddly, it's the one for completing the main storyline in most cases. It's the same old thing, like nobody finishes your game ever. (laughs) (laughs) I do, yeah, I I quite like the, the, well, I guess the additional information on the individual game pages, but um, I'm not... when were tiles invented as a as a UX <laughs> contrivance? Was it around? The, it was around the launch of like the the I guess the Xbox One and all of the Microsoft laptops that came yes. out around that time. What era? Is that two thousand or? Oh, I was thinking it was much like like two thousand and thirteen or something. I mean, like Windows two thousand. Oh, was that the that would that the kind of touchpad version that they did? For oh, was a while? it? I don't remember. But that that those tiles. It was a kind of big, like, paradigm shift in user experience design, which has at no point seen, since been proven to have been worthwhile, as far as I can tell. <laughs> it's, it's still awful. I don't know why you would want to have things arranged as tiles. It doesn't make any sense. There's no hierarchy to it. You have to look left, and then you have to look down. Why not just look down in a big list? Lists a are nice. I like lists. You can arrange your own tiles, much like 
Wilmot's warehouse mm. and create your own puzzle system for mm. remembering where your shortcuts are. Ah, I feel like I'm doing unpaid labor. <laughs> Should start a class war. Um, yeah, I'm not super keen. I, I was complaining in, uh, the Craig and Crowbar Discord. Very nice community, incidentally, if you haven't already joined. Mm. Um, that I couldn't see any way to, uh, show which disc my games were on because with the advent, the imminent release of Red Dead Redemption, a big fat game, mm-hmm. and also other games like the new Star Wars game, um, I need to make some room. I need to make some room on my discs, but I don't know which discs are full, uh, on which, <laughs> on which games are on which discs anymore because the Steam library no longer shows that. It's um, peculiar, like wind, I don't know why, but Windows t- tries to hide all your discs as well. Mm. Yeah, see, this seems also. Can I not be trusted with my C drive anymore? PC gamer problems. They really are. Yeah, I feel like uh, the PCs become more and more inscrutable over time. And it might have been hard to use before, but at least it was transparent. And now it feels like there's a lot of obfuscation to no obvious end. I think I don't know who who they think is going to be scared away by seeing a C drive, but yeah, I suspect it's a karmic penalty for not building my last PC, (laughs) getting someone else to do it for me. Well, hang on, your karmic penalty has actually affected the rest of humanity as well, though. It <laughs> yeah. seems a little disproportionate. What have you been playing, John? I have been playing uh, Jenny LeClue, Detective Ooh. <laughs> uh, it's I got do a subtitle. Like that subtitle. Yeah. It's got an accent on it, which I'm exercising my ignorant British privilege of pronouncing exactly however I want, <laughs> different each time. Uh, anyway, it's a detective game. Hmm. Uh, you play Jenny LeClue, a uh, kind of teen detective girl uh, growing up in a boring town uh, and she's desperate to put all her uh, forensics training to good use. She wants a good solid mystery, uh, but the town is just so boring. So she has to uh, start the game by wandering around and uh, embarking on thrilling mysteries like the case of the missing glasses and so on. <laughs> right. Um, and this luckily uh, develops into uh, a bit more of a mystery when uh, Jenny gets her wish and somebody is horribly done in. Oh. Uh, and then she's off on a grand adventure full of mystery and strange things hidden beneath this seemingly boring town. Hmm. Uh, there's a lake that glows. I'm damn well going to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Literally or otherwise. It's it great. Good? <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, it's good. I played a bit of it. Um, mm. it has, it has a, a weird framing device. I want, because I, I've only played a bit of it. I wanted to know how intrusive that is or whether that comes back at some point. So it's, it's almost like it's Jenny LeClue is a character in a, in a, a crime writer's yeah. novels. Right? She's a young adult. Uh, fiction writer's character. Right. Uh, and the game is narrat- narrated by the author. Hmm. And sometimes they have the character and the author have a bit of fun back and forth and so on. Uh, but it's mostly used to break up uh, the game into chapters. Um, Jenny will b- do a bit of adventuring and then we'll go back and see the author um, who has his own storyline. Uh, he's written lots of Jenny LeClue novels before, but they've all been incredibly tame, boring affairs. Hmm. And his publisher is pushing him to make uh, a dark, murderous version to finally push the numbers up, which uh, he's having trouble with. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit 
a strangeness going on with that because you can, you have a number of um, devices for uh, affecting the world in uh, Jenny's uh, world. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. Reality. Um, But sometimes they also work in the author's world. Oh. Um, And there seems to be. So uh, what do you mean by a device? um, Well, the uh, main mechanics uh, gameplay wise such as they are, um, are uh, investigation scenes where um, you will try to solve your mystery. You will go to a 3D scene that you can pan around and uh, try and select uh, or spot and select bits of evidence uh, like um, sugar on someone's bow tie and you'll use that to find out or guess what he had for breakfast and so on. And you go around and collect a number of clues and then uh, once you've found them all, you'll be taken to a question screen where uh, Jenny asks a question of herself, like, how can I tell what the principal had for breakfast this morning? And then you'll collect a five piece of evidence and you'll choose two of these or three of these uh, to support the question. Like he has coffee residue and donut powder on his bow tie and so on. Right. So it's like a sort of multiple choice. There are other options that you can pick from and be wrong. Uh, you can be wrong, but it just resets. Right. There are, you can't be a bad detective in this timeline, but, uh, those, uh, kind of investigation seeds where you're prodding the world and it kind of reacts nicely to you, like pushing pencils around tables and flipping through books and hmm. things, uh, that works in the narrator's world. Um, and there's, uh, kind of strange, there's a strange scene later on where he's, uh, in a quandary, he's deep in a bottle of red wine and rebelling against his publisher saying, no, I want to make a nice, safe, good ending. Uh, but then he has notes for the dark ending as well. And, uh, you can screw with his charts and like tear up the good ending and Weird. throw it away. So. Who are you? I have no idea who you are. I'm not sure if it's going to get even more meta, if it's going to reveal that the author is within Jenny's reality itself or something strange like that. But yeah, I don't know. Do you think it works as a framing device? Yeah, I'm just intrigued to see where it goes for that reason. Like I was thinking, ooh, this could get super meta and super weird because I was wondering, I did did poke a knock a pencil off the desk. I was like, (laughs) Am I the author at this point, mm. or am I just like some some strange ghost? Yeah, some possibly strange his ghost. dog. Who's oh, in yeah. that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I do quite like the way it work, looks. It's a sort of weird mixture of two uh, D and three D. Yeah, um, it's uh, quite nice. It's built from. It's definitely a three D world. They layer in planes of mm. um, text, well, like textures, planes, like sprites, whatever. So you get this layered poster board kind of thing. Uh, but then each of those is an illustration, which is really nice and crisp and colorful in its own right. Uh, and then they, uh, top that all off with some nice real time lighting as well, which, um, really, really helps that kind of rendering style. And we saw it in broken age as well. Mm. Um, like just simple 2d stuff can really feel a bit hollow if you don't have light and shadow, if your scene does as well. Like back in the olden days, your character wouldn't change lighting as they walked into a dark area and so on. Uh, but here it's done really nicely. There is a few problems where you see like razor thin uh, polygons at the edge of stuff. <laughs> um, it kind of undermines the solidity of the world a little. Mm. Uh, mostly everything's front on to you. 
Um, but then occasionally you'll just see like a micron thick floor that you have to, uh, crawl down a ladder through and it's just, uh. how's this supported? I don't understand. Hmm. Yeah. But you otherwise recommend it? Is the, oh, the mystery's good? Uh, the mystery's definitely hooked me. I think the game, like the mechanical stuff, like the poking at 3D scenes and answering questions is a bit slight and not really mm. uh, going to tax you uh, too much. This isn't one of those amazing real-time detective games that uh, I know a few people are trying to crack. Uh, this is um, a bit of like pixel hunting at its worst. And um, <laughs> I'll put that on the back of the box. Excellent. <laughs> kind of spot the difference um yeah but and there's some uh, crate pushing oh so um but the writing is uh solid enough i've had i feel actually that um i feel very conspicuously like i'm not the target age yeah i feel like it's skewed a little younger than yeah, us probably it's, it's a young it's like in the fiction it's a young adult character and i think it will work really well for that like if I discovered this game nah, 25 years ago, <laughs> it would probably be my favorite thing ever. Mm. But now it's uh, fun enough. And there's, like I said, I'm a sucker for a hatch in the ground. Mm. That'll get me every time. <laughs> but. Yeah. I don't, I was, have you been, have you played um, Tangled Tower at all? No. That's a, a, a detective game in a similar vein. Um, it's by the, um, the Snipperclips guys, hmm. uh, the, the Vian brothers, uh, and obviously collaborators. Um, I think it's a sequel to Detective Grimoire, something hmm. like that. It has the same characters in it, but you don't need to have played that earlier game as far right. as I know. And, uh, I, I didn't play that earlier game because I wasn't particularly keen on the, on the art style, but they've, they've taken the same characters and sort of just re- revamped them in a, in a kind of much more consistent and really, uh, the art, you'll, you'll love this. <laughs> the art in this game is astonishing looking. The, the beautiful animations on these, uh, kind of 2D cutout characters. Mm. But, um, as I was playing it, uh, it's really, it's, it's great, incidentally. If you liked, uh, Jenny LeClue, I'm sure you like this. It's very mm. funny. Uh, it feels a little kind of more, uh, adult than Jenny LeClue. Not that it's actually kind of pushing any boundaries. It just yeah. has a certain kind of, uh, tenor, which feels, feels like it's geared to a slightly older age range, or at least an age agnostic, mm. uh, range. But as I was playing, I was thinking, God, it'd be nice if there was, if there were the, these sort of games written with a, you know, a, a sort of level, same kind of level of glib wit, but for a, an adult audience, ex- exclusively an adult audience, which I don't mean like there's, uh, it's going out of its way to be super dark or super sexy or something weird, <laughs> but just, you know, just, just like, uh, late night comedy show, uh, <laughs> kind of level of maturity, you know, mm. where, where's the, where's the Chris Morris of, uh, point yeah. and click detective games? That's what I want. Well, I'm, I feel like I've, I'm re- purposefully regressing by playing this and not Disco Elysium. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm not doing my English homework by playing. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel Disco Elysium, even though it is very funny, it's it's also it's more kind of like I, I, I'm I'm what I'm looking for is something which is essentially still entertainment and still kind of throwaway, not necessarily cerebral anyway, mm. but something that still approaches me as though as the kind of you know debauched, decrepit <laughs> fucker that I am, you know, rather than a child man. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, Chris Morris will get bored and turn his hands to games. Maybe. Could happen. 
I've been uh, I've been playing another detective game. I've been playing Telling Lies. Have you played Telling Lies? I have not. This is the uh, sequel of sorts to the other game. Her story. Her story. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not a sequel in the sense that there's, there's continuity, but it's by the same guy, Sam Barlow. I'm yes. sure he has other people who work with him, but that's the name that you associate with it. Um, and it appropriates the exact same format as her story. Did you play her story? I did, yes. Did you like it? I enjoyed it for a while and eventually got frustrated with it and <laughs> took Tom's advice and just went into Explorer and looked, watched all the videos in order. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the, you can do I that. Needed, I needed solid answers. I th- There's value in a kind of uncertain ending mm. for some people, but not for me. I wouldn't know what happened. Well, it's interesting. I had... See, I found, so to just explain her story is a, uh, a game in which you are essentially given a trove of video clips from a, um, interview with uh, a woman, a police interview with a woman. And each clip is like 30 seconds long max, right? Yeah, There's most. not that many. There are more than a minute, I don't think. And you don't hear whatever questions have been asked. You just see the woman's testimony. And uh, this trove is searchable by keyword, but you only ever get five uh, clips from the database for any search you do. Right. It's and about s- narrowing your search parameters over time. Right. So the more clips you watch, the more idea you get about what the mystery is and the more words you can think of then to search. Mm. And for me, that was really successful. Like, uh, I think other people had very different experiences with it. But for me, the way that it unfolded just through the process of, you know, lateral thinking and thinking of new words was very dramatic. Like it had that same kind of cadence as a, mm. as a you know, good detective novel where you're coming up across, you know, twists and exciting yeah, clues. Yeah, it was amazing how it seemed to generate that for almost everyone who played it had almost. some kind of dawning <laughs> realization at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, Matt Castle uh, said he accidentally skipped pretty much to the kind of f- final clue <laughs> um, with a with a search term that wasn't that unusual. But then he sort of he felt the rest of it was pointless then because mm. he was going back and learning these things which would have been intriguing had he not known what the answer was. <laughs> He's just like, well, that's the answer. It's the answer. <laughs> um, so Telling Lies has this exact same f- format. You have a, a trove of videos, but they aren't from a single interview. They're from, they're like illicit recordings. Some of them are from like Skype calls and mm. uh, some are hidden camera, some cell phone footage. Uh, all of them have been collated by some body. Um, I have to be quite careful because I don't want to say any terms, which sure. would then help be helpful to people <laughs> yeah. if they want to play it. Um, and again, it's only, it's searchable by keyword and, uh, you only get five entries, which feels kind of silly in, in the context of this game because mm. it's meant to be like an intelligence trove, basically, as yeah. used by intelligence agencies. And you'd think they would probably have a more efficient format for, at, at least, uh, in her story, their conceit was you were on some ancient yeah. police database clacking away on a CRT monitor. I think, yeah, I don't know the Skype generation. I'm not sure if that works as well. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's, it's still nicely contextualized in the same way that you have, you're looking at a, a desktop. And in fact, you can see uh, a character's reflection. In you the got a reflection. I was going to ask. I did really enjoy that. Yeah. That's, it's a really, it's a really neat trick. Um, and working out who she is and what she, her, her plan is, is interesting as well. But, um, it took me a lot longer to get into this than her story because. Like you open a single video clip in her story, 
you see a woman in, inter- in an interrogation mm. and you're like, oh, presumably a crime's been committed. Is she a suspect? You know, what happened? Those are all the questions that emerge from uh, that, that single image of a woman in a police interrogation. In this, it's not really clear. There's lots of different characters. There's lots of different plots. Some of them only really intersect tangentially. And it's not really clear what if there's a, a crime, what's the central, what's the central thing, you know? And you're, you're kind of led into her story, uh, with a little bit saying, I can't remember what it is, but it's, uh, it gives you an introduction and something to start searching for mm. and tells you that there is a mystery here, possibly to do with this, but there's nothing at all. There's just a bunch of people in videos and you have to define the problem first. Well, it's a lot, it's a lot there isn't whether there is or isn't a, a single central incident right. you know is is sort of debatable it's a lot it's a it's a much broader story um i think it's a lot more successful a story in mm. in some ways like I, I really loved her story but uh it is at the end of the day quite a, a simple schlocky detective thing and this one has themes you know it's got stuff going on it's talking about the real world in, in ways which her story just doesn't yeah and and it's it's sort of the broadest possible, most ambiguous, least helpful terms I can describe it in is that uh, a group of people have been infiltrated by a law enforcement agency. Mm. And, you know, what their purpose is and what the people's purpose is and who's who's lying to who and, and what's going on is essentially the, uh, the, the work of the game to uncover. Yeah. Um, and it touches on really interesting things which I can't really talk about without spoiling them. <laughs> but in both cases, so I like, I think it's been inspired by some really interesting, uh, slightly scary stories from both the US and the UK where, uh, there has been, uh, say, uh, law enforcement overreach in mm. the attempt to get people to incriminate themselves to the extent that you wonder if, in fact, law enforcement has essentially caused the crimes. Huh. <laughs> and speaking of Chris Morris's yeah. film is uh, all to do about that. I'm pretty sure that's a direct... Uh, the oh, story, right. At least the story behind Chris Morris's one. Yes. Uh, or the stories, because um, there have been multiple. There's some good uh, This American Life episodes about the, the real-life cases, which I, mm. I assume Chris Morris was inspired by. And I think this is also inspired by... Um, but yeah, so so it's this kind of big, more nebulous plot, and uh, also there's so many more characters. In the Skype calls, you hear uh, one side of a Skype call, yeah. and the other clip with the other side is also in there somewhere, right? But and so there is some fun in like working out how to get the other side of a conversation. But at the same time, it does mean that often you're listening to clips in which somebody's just going, hmm. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. And then sometimes, because I feel fastidious about it, I have to watch the entire clip. It's, and the clips are long. Like, there's some of them, uh, it's not uncommon for them to be seven minutes, eight minutes. Wow. And sometimes they're just some, some person not saying anything and looking <laughs> at a camera. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff in it, which is, which if I was a law enforcement agency, uh, eavesdropping on these calls, you would flag as non-pertinent. Mm. You know, it's, it's all pertinent in terms of character development and the, and, uh, I think it's dramatically uh, necessary for you to see the kind of lives of these characters and their kind of more trivial conversations. But at the same time, it's not necessarily, some of it just isn't feeding into the, 
to to discovery of anything like yeah. you hear a guy giving a, a nighttime story to his child you know you're sitting there tapping your fingers saying say something say something <laughs> say something interesting say, talk about a crime <laughs> yeah um it seems like yeah. uh moving from a single to multiple characters would be an exponential shift in difficulty of tracking and processing information how um, crazy is your murder board <laughs> well we, it's hard. Well, it's, it's mostly just names because there aren't really incidences for you to follow up on necessarily. Like right. in, in the same way, there's not. Uh, her story ended at a certain point, right? You got to you had accumulated a certain amount of information, and then something changed in the game, which gave you a clear signal that it was like you've you got it. Yeah, and you knew when when you discovered what had happened, that was it. You discovered what happened. You knew yourself. No. Whereas this, the story is much more kind of nebulous. So. I didn't know when I'd finished. Mm. And like, I felt like, okay, I, I got, I've got a handle on what happened. I know who all these characters are. I know, I generally understand the conflict between them. They all seem to have these kind of arcs. And I feel like I've explored their arcs. Uh, but nothing's happening. I don't know when it's going to end. Yeah. And I'm am also I waiting gonna... for a twist or am I done? Yeah. I still don't know because, uh, I thought, well, I, I've kind of run out of search terms now to look up. So mm. maybe I'll go to the wiki and see if there's like a point at which the game tells you that you've got enough. And I went to, I went to wiki and uh, spoiled myself accidentally yeah. on on the ending. And there is, there's a whole bunch of stuff I just didn't know, I didn't have any idea would happen hmm. beyond the point at which I quit um, to do that. And I felt really hard done by Partly because it revealed how shit a detective I am. <laughs> but also because there weren't that... Those events are expressed through quite a small number of clips. Mm. And I feel like they were... Re it's like five clips or something that gave me like the full full shebang. And five clips out of maybe 160 clips? Yeah. Feels like a really small target to hit. And it must and be incredibly <clears throat> difficult to... Uh, predict some a player's passage through that mm. uh, network. Really, I wonder if there. It sounds like you just found a dead end. Yeah, and but it wasn't obvious that it was even a dead end. It felt more like a conclusion in a way because uh, I wasn't expecting anything else to happen necessarily. Mm. Like with a with a murder story, you know, at some point there's going to be a murder. <laughs> with this, which isn't any particular kind of genre i don't know what event i should be expecting when i when i should see it and know that it's happened yeah and the the events at the tail end of the game exist in such a different dramatic register to the rest of the game uh that there's no way i could have thought oh yeah well that's definitely gonna happen i'll wait for <laughs> that you know because it was, it's just, it's slight, and it's, if I felt like it wasn't dramatically necessary for the, for the game to go kind of like several octaves higher histrionically yeah. into kind of put a, put an end to it. Um, I wonder if it's the kind of thing, um, you could argue was your ending. Mm. You have some ownership over that and it's your story to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, the Netflix Bandersnatch thing, the mm. Charlie Brooker Choose Your Own Adventure thing. Uh, when I watched that with some friends, our version of that was weird and didn't really resolve in any kind of satisfying manner. And it's mm. like, I guess this is our version of this. 
I assume we could go back and try again. But it feels like we got kind of a story and it's enough to own that. But hmm. whether it's satisfying or not, I don't know. Did it's, it conclude though? Or did it, was it sort of open-ended in a weird way? Uh, it did conclude. Uh, it just didn't wrap up or feel particularly satisfying. Mm. I didn't feel like the story achieved anything. There was just a bunch of strange events and then some credits. But mm. I think we made some bad decisions. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like you need, uh, like a live Skype button to Sam Barlow and say, <laughs> this is what I think happened. How close am I? Yeah. He can just drop you like a search term or something. But. Well, I, you know, what I thought happened happened. It's just, I didn't know that there were other things that I should have been waiting for. Right. But, um, you know, a little coder. Uh, but I did, I, I really did enjoy my time with it. I think the performances are mostly pretty good. Mm. Um, and, uh, the characterization of the, of the different people, I think is, is interesting. I think it's a substantial, you know, interesting piece of writing amongst other things. You know, it's, there's, there's some kind of real meat to it about the things it makes, makes you done think of, you mm. know? Yeah, with your brain. Uh, after her story, I think you guys talked about how the, format couldn't really be pushed that much further mm. and i guess he found a way to develop it a little bit do you think there's legs for another iteration of this yeah i mean i don't i, I quite like that um that format there are some things about it that are, are strange actually this one introduces a new element to it which i think is i it's obviously intentional but I have no idea what the intention was. <laughs> so when you search for a keyword, um, it'll pop up with the video. But then when you play it, it'll play from the timestamp within that video in which that word is used. Mm. Um, and to get back to the beginning of the video, which is what you always want to do, you have to rewind it. And for a seven-minute video, it can take a long time to rewind. <laughs> and if the word's been uttered at the end, you have to sit there is it like for a, quite a long VHS time. VHS squiggly lines and... Um, no spooling tape kind of rewind. <laughs> no. no, it's all it's all digital, but uh, there's no kind of scan bar you can just switch switch to the. Huh. Maybe there is, and it's just, I just haven't somehow activated <laughs> it or something. It seems bizarre to me. There's no just go back to the start and play from the start button. Yeah, it's a bit odd because there's no at no point do you want to miss what was said at the beginning of these videos. Yeah, it's, it's not just... like you need to pad it for running time or something. No. No, especially when you're listening to a lot of, you know, children's <laughs> stories and other things that don't feel kind of uh, pertinent. But it is, I do like, I think there is something nice about the way it feels like there's work to be done in the game. I don't usually like work in games, but there's, but because it has this sense of verite about you looking over this illicit cache of videos in a sort of voyeuristic way, it actually kind of helps cement that theme to feel like there's some kind of there's make work to be done yeah. in digging out this stuff and then you decide what's pertinent and what isn't and in order to have that dilemma you need to have stuff which isn't pertinent which mm. needs to be kind of slightly boring yeah but um yeah really interesting game i, I really uh i i'd like to see him move outside of those specific mechanical constraints even if he continues making you know, video-based games mm. <laughs> rather than video game. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. I also have played a little of The Outer Worlds. Mm. 
the most medium game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Oh, we talked... Sorry, we didn't mention The Witcher. Oh, we didn't... No, we mention the, the very important new Witcher trailer. Yeah, that popped into my head because at one point in the Witcher trailer... You were imagining Geralt Naked says, Man in a bar. <laughs> and there he was on screen, all my dreams realised. Uh, Naked Man says, Greater, lesser, middling, it's all the same. Which is, you know, the review of Outer Wilds that Tom Senior gave, probably. <laughs> it's pretty great uh, review. The game is middling. Is <laughs> um, it's interesting because I've heard you talk before about um, the Bethesda-like game and how there is uh, a window uh, at the beginning where everything's new and fresh mm. and you're deciphering the new mechanics and so on, where there's a lot of possibility in the game. And then at some point that runs out and you essentially see through the matrix. Yeah. And the world loses its first magnitude and uh, the game just becomes uh, a grind. And that's got shorter and shorter window mm. since Morrowind, I guess. And in Outer Wilds, it's not there at all. Oh, well, it gets straight to the grind. Yeah. Oh. Not, like the, there is almost no mechanical innovation in it at all. Mm. Uh, you will go in, in a good way, uh, you will go in and be instantly familiar with everything happening with it. Right. On a bad way, you are not surprised by anything. It's just like putting on an old pair of socks with, <laughs> but they look like spacemen now. <laughs> and it's yeah. just made me uh, a little concerned because I've seen a lot of people online saying it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's their game of the year. Really? Which seems a little dangerous for something with so little innovation mm. in it, I think. I mean, it's, mm. it's very pretty and... There's some good characters and stories good and there's nice writing and stuff, but mm. below the surface, there's not a lot going on really at all. Oh, really? Which is not something I expect from Obsidian. I want weird ideas and jank, really. <laughs> so. Oh. Oh. Well, I have to say, I wasn't minded to play it, but, uh, no, I'm definitely not. So. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not fun, but, yeah. like, there's, no innovation in like the combat system. Mm. You, if you go melee, you have swing and block and power attack. If you go shooting, then you have like a slow mo map, slow mo vats, aim assist mode, and you can get headshots mm. and point, put points into small guns or mm. big guns and so on. It's just like this is this is just a template now. Is it? Is it not? I mean, uh, I've heard it said that it was more about the talking in the game than it was about anything that happens in between. Does that stack up for you? Do you feel like the talking was enough? Is it talky enough? I think it is good talky. Yeah. Uh, it's a talking, loot collecting game, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is pretty good at... Good triggering. talky, bad walkie is what you're saying. <laughs> it's great at... Uh, firing off those centers of my brain. I do want to pick up all the things. I do want to take all the trash out of bins. <laughs> I do want to talk to all the people and use my special conversation options. Mm. I feel good about that. Uh, I'm just, uh, a little worried that they've gone for polish rather than ideas. Mm. I think. Mm. Just to really bring the, bring the mood. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we cheer ourselves up with some questions from questions? Let's have some treats. Taylor writes, Dear Crate and Crowbar, 
I don't have a question, but whoever manages the statements at creatingcrowbar.com account seems to be ignoring me. Anyway, I thought Marsh should know that he's not the only one with a house hat. There you go. <laughs> oh, God. I too suffer from extra floofy hair. To remedy this, I wear my tattered grey beanie every morning after my shower. My partner is also unimpressed by this routine, but now I feel slightly more justified, knowing I'm not the only one. Keep on putting Taylor. Thank you, Taylor, for reaching out. It is, it is important that... Uh, us house hat owners form a community to support one another in these <laughs> times when we're so persecuted. I'm disappointed that you're not currently wearing it. I, I could. I could go and get it right now. <laughs> um, Hope writes, Hello! I have had this long-standing belief that Hideo Kojima is basically just Andy Warhol recreated as a developer. I wrote about it, but I won't link you because I don't want to be that person. So instead, the short notes actually... I, I googled the article and I will put it in the show notes because it's good. Uh, but her short notes, her abbreviated version is, the first time it hit me is the obsession with celebrity, using them in his games, bringing film into his games, etc. There's also the attempt to bring familiar products and also bucking trends while still making tangibly fairly normal art. The floppy hair and glasses help. Um, I'd kind of like to link other combinations. So I was wondering, uh, do you think of other famous game personalities uh, who remind you of artists, writers, etc. Ken Laverne might be kind of like Jules Verne. David Cage is dot, 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 <laughs> question mark. Thanks. Keep up the pod. Cheers from Australia. P.S. Uh, the way I remember Outer Worlds versus Outer Wilds is because I is for Indian, and O is for Obsidian. Yeah. That would have been useful about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> P.P.S. When I first started listening to the pod, uh, I thought Tom Senior was called such because he was the eldest Tom present. <laughs> no, no. He's not, not the first person to make that mistake either. <laughs> Whereas Tom Francis is the most Francis Tom present. Um, yes. Uh, and yeah, David Cage. Um, I was trying to work out if we have like a Banksy and then you said David Cage of like no. relatively well-meaning, but utterly on the nose kind of points. Uh, I think he's more Dan Brown, maybe yeah. <laughs> Dan Brown. Uh, oh no, although maybe his games recently haven't been as successful as Dan Brown novels have been. Maybe he's the Nicholas Winding Refn, which Just is a hundred percent style. Well, actually, no, at least, at least Nicholas Winding Refn has style. <laughs> Whereas, uh, David Cage just has, uh, good rendering of, uh, <laughs> water partic particulates as they drip down the naked breasts of his lead act actress. Um, yeah. Who's the terrible Transformers director? Oh, yeah. That guy. Yeah. Bayhem. Michael. Bay. Michael Bay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Got there in the end. And there's direct analogues with, like the latest battlefields and uh call of duties and stuff but they don't uh they don't have a premier director or they mm. don't flaunt it as such yeah i, don't know. I can't on one level this is good because it means that you know all the altairs are dying out or they're giving credit to their teams at that's least that's true but, actually yeah it is good to see that um teams or at least credit for these games is more diffuse amongst the teams now mm. and then maybe they're uh not led by such uh, crazy egos. That's not true. A lot of the game <laughs> development studios are led by crazy egos. But I'd like to see that thing become a bit more of the, go into the past a little bit. Cause I, I've never felt that that was really beneficial to studios to have people at the top of them who, who, who acted like movie stars. That's, mm. uh, cause they aren't, they're nerds like the rest of us. <laughs> um, um, hmm. so I had a thought, um, which does, does occasionally happen while I was, uh, walking around an exhibition 
of uh, the life uh, and work of um, John Ruskin, uh, who was a 19th century art critic and an artist in his own right. He did a lot of uh, rather excellent drawings uh, of nature and buildings and things. And he had uh, a very influential view of what art should be at the time. And he... Um, it changed his view of what art should be changed dramatically across the course of his life. But there was a period where he, um, he championed the idea of, um, uh, add nothing and take nothing away. Um, because to sort of engage in like incredibly intense observation of, uh, of the world was to exalt its nature. And so art, the creation of art itself, um, became a sort of exaltation. It came like meditation almost. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, in his later life, he sort of veered away from that because he became a big champion of Turner, who obviously did not paint the world as it exactly was. Um, but, but for the main part, he was very, very interested in sort of cataloging nature. So he was a huge fan of, uh, cataloging different kinds of animals, you know, kind of botanical drawings, that kind of thing. He also liked to, uh, go to places where there was, uh, uh, sort of Venice, uh, and other places which were a th- threat of dereliction in parts like ancient buildings that were crumbling and falling down. He made a big, uh, effort to, um, record what those buildings looked like in fastidious detail and record the kind of, uh, uncelebrated architectural work of, you know, stonemasons from the 13th century, you know, who'd drawn a particular kind of goblin on the side of a building. And, um, uh, he, d- he did a lot of work to kind of preserve that information about those buildings, buildings that are now gone. And so he was a great conservationist, essentially, uh, as well as uh, as well as being an artist, not critic. But as I was walking around, I had this thought, uh, as one does, um, you know, what would what would John Ruskin made of video games? <laughs> and uh, I susp- I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what he he was quite radical in some ways. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe he would have uh, really got into Destiny. I don't know. But I know that one thing he would have really loved about. Um, video games would be asset creation and i think he would have been fascinated and delighted by uh just the amount of environmental art that goes into creating a game you know like a thousand different types of bush and leaf and um all the different material shaders and and things like that you know the fastidious observation and exaltation of the natural world and recreation of it in in uh, gaming landscapes i think that would have that would have really really interested him so i I guess all environmental artists are john ruskin in this analogy uh ben writes dear charlie and charlie uh with all the confusion over the phonetic alphabet last episode i thought you might be uh might find it easier to use one based on popular game titles um thus tom uh, should present his twitter handle as Pathologic, Escape from Monkey Island, Neverwinter Nights, Terraria, Age of Empires, Dishonored, Age of Empires 2, Colin McRae Rally, Terraria. Hopefully this helps. Uh, my question, such as it is, is simply, Tom, how could you do this to us? <laughs> Cheers. Bomberman, Escape from Monkey Island, Neverwinter Nights. A.K.A. Ben. How could he do this to us? Tom's gone off to find the indies in Canada. Yeah. Because the indies in the Bath and Bristol area were not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom writes, not that Tom, but a different Tom. Uh, hi, Garrotts and Garrets. 
Uh, and this is a super long question, multi-part question, lots and lots of different questions. Um, but predominantly they are about Hitman. Uh, and one question among these many questions is despite its flaws, Absolution did make some remarkable steps forward for the series in terms of graphics, controls, and UI that in tandem with the blood money-esque clockwork levels make the rebooted series such a success. Can you think of similar examples of series that take a step back to then make a leap forward? I think the go-to game of the pod, Deus Ex. Mm. Uh, second one definitely had some troubles, but at the same time had a few interesting mechanical features like its use of, um, I can't remember, its augmentation pods, like mm. its upgrades, which made you make difficult choices and so on. And then I at least would put uh, the third game above that, they managed to wrench it back on track mm. after ten years or whatever. But I think of anything else. Yeah, it's it's hard to think because there's not that many kind of long running series. Uh, mm. uh, I mean, other than Call of Duty and stuff like that. I mean, it's hard to say that it, any advancement in those has has been. A, what's interesting about that Hitman is that the the game that was worse. And also with Deus Ex 2, also did bring innovations that then later adopted and actually, you know, enriched the later games. Whereas I don't know if that's really the case with the, the, some of the dreck that was served up in the, in the, in the midst of uh, Call of Duty or uh, some of the other long-running mega-franchises. Mm. XCOM got wild for mm. a while uh, with Enforcer and Interceptor and so mm. on. I'm not sure they could salvage anything from those games back no. into the main timeline, but... No, I'm sure there's some interesting FIFA anecdote that uh, somebody <laughs> can say if they were at all interested in uh, kicking balls around a big green field. I'm not. Was there ever a bad sieve? Yeah, well, the thing is, the sieves are, I mean, people always have their favourite sieves, right? Because mm. they, they are, I don't think there's necessarily that much kind of continuity. Obviously, there's a general kind of accrual of technology over time, um, but it feels kind of unfair just to... Uh, to put credit on on previous games in the series just because they made that kind of incremental step forward technologically mm. but they each have their own kind of stamp of their own individual creator right there um there's always a lead on the projects who have their own idea of what civ should be yes um and i don't know to what extent later people have looked back at the previous Civ and gone well take those ideas rather than saying more holistically this is what i would do with civilization you know to solve this problem right this time yeah uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, I think. Was that bad? I think it's great. Uh, oh. Lots of people don't think it's very good. Lots of people don't think it's nearly as good. For example, Super Mario Brothers 3 or Super Mario Brothers World, all these. Mm. Super Mario I really love Super Mario Brothers 2, and it did have the innovation of being able to uh, introduce lots of things to the Super Mario Brothers series, which would then become staples, like Shy Guys, and you know, being able to pick up things, uproot vegetables, and, and throw them at giant frog men. I mean... That's what you want, isn't it, really? Yeah. From everything. I think there's still a holdout uh, people who really liked Donkey Kong and didn't like this new direction of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Things all gone downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sven writes, I've seen two solutions for the idea for remaking The Princess Bride, other than the obvious, don't do it. I think, yes, that's Chris screaming in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first is to simply update the narrator and real-world portions. Ideally, Fred Savage would be the adult, reading the story to another generation. The remainder of the movie would be unchanged. <laughs> uh, the second, 
which he puts in inverted commas, the Muppets, the Princess Bride, <laughs> Sweetums as the Giant, a Kermit slash Miss, Miss Piggy romance, and Humans for Prince Humperdinck and the Six-Fingered Man. I'd be interested in your thoughts about who would be best to play Inigo Montoya. Uh, but bringing this back to games, are there any games that could benefit from a Muppet version? Uh, where the characters could be replaced or acted by characters who bring their own context, adding an additional layer to the experience while still allowing what was good about the original to show through. Unfortunately, all the examples I can think of are bad. A Team Fortress character in Hitman, for example, or replacing the heart in Dishonored with GLaDOS in a potato. <laughs> I think that's really good. Yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, you'll have more luck. That was spend. I don't think Team Fortress characters in something else is a bad example. I think that's yeah. possibly the best example I can think of. Those, well, yeah, that's a cast of funny, well-defined characters with their own personalities and solid, solid jokes uh, woven through them. I think you could transplant them into a lot of stuff. Mm. Overwatch, for example, whose characters are all relentlessly boring. Like having the soldier in Diva's suit. And mm. like, yeah, that could work really well. Um, yeah, I, I you think of, it has to always be a comedy character who is, the, or is at least some character with a wry sense of fourth wall breaking who is the one which is implanted, right? Yes. How about uh, the frog detective from Frog Detective <laughs> uh, in any of these Sherlock Holmes games? Or that would be already up. Or does what, was, he... what was that really gruesome? I think it was on the 360 uh, detective game where you went around beating hobos with a metal pipe, basically. Oh, conviction or convicted? Oh, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. <laughs> Frog detective <laughs> in that. Frog detective, but as Watson in the Holmes and Watson games. So he just follows you around creepily, <laughs> teleporting around behind you. Uh, yeah, I can't think of many more like well-rounded iconic casts from a game uh yeah there's not that the many kind, kind of ensembles Muppet are there really representation mm. the muppets are good aren't they, they <laughs> i mean I, I would play a lot of muppet versions of games yes i think that would i mean rather than supplanting game characters other game characters just bring in the the, the real deal themselves <laughs> uh joe writes hiya uh, Disco Elysium's political options are, as often said, quite extreme. I reckon people are missing something. Given the protagonist has no memory, making all the options bad isn't saying communism and fascism are the same, but instead that your character's opinions come from the same place. The privileged assumption that he can fix a place he doesn't understand with ideologies he barely knows. Whereas if you just listen to other characters in this world, you can come to a much more nuanced and better beliefs that do not fit into simple categories. It's not saying politics are dumb, but that, above all, you shouldn't center everything on yourself when surrounded by so much suffering. Any thoughts, objections? Don't forget to roll a skill check. Joe. Oh, it's, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty smart. Yeah. And not, does the game not, uh, needle you for just listening to people and forming positive opinions? It feels like, they would take you to task over that. I haven't played it. It does, uh, every, every time you kind of reach for, uh, uh a simplistic kind of broad brush ideology, the, the game makes a point of, uh, undercutting that in some way, mm. uh, either through other characters or through just your obvious failure in the world. Um, but I don't know to what extent that is 
suggesting that there are more nuanced views out there and everything and and your own lack of nuance is a result of you being an amnesiac and and a, and a fool i think it is more explicitly making a comment on the validity of those ideas i don't know there are characters in the world who are very very unnuanced as well so i don't mm. know that a wholly sudden stacks up but it, that is interesting i hadn't thought of it in those terms david writes hi all uh, I had to give up my moderately powerful desktop in a move five years ago. Uh, I have since been reduced to using my 10-year-old machine with its measly two cores, four paltry gigs of RAM, and an aged GeForce uh, 8800 GT. I never know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I'm surprised that I can actually run some modern games, like Dead Cells, for example. But I'm missing out on a lot of new releases. My PC even overheated and shut down when playing Digital Bird Playground. <laughs> what games can I play that won't make my elderly computer melt through the desk? Thanks for the pods. Wait, new Eight. games? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of 2D stuff uh, out there which you, you can play. I have a similar problem where, with uh, my laptop, uh, which has been overheating recently when i look at more than two animated gifts in two different <laughs> google tags get into the breach and slay the spire oh yeah those are good picks get those on um there's uh six ages has recently come out on pc that's a, a great game hmm. um sequel to king of dragon pass uh it's been on mobile for a while i talked about it on the podcast a long time ago but it's yeah it's a really good i mean it's mostly text and and still pictures so there's it's probably going to survive uh, your PC is probably going to survive playing it, but um, that's that's awesome. Jenny, the clues probably quite light. Yeah, I don't know though because there's. I wonder with things that are built. For, I think it's probably built in Unity or something similar, mm. right? There's still uh, there's a fair amount of three D uh, and lighting effects going on there, perhaps mm. to quite limited effect. Like it's not showy about the fact that it's three D and there's lots of lighting going on, but I suspect there's probably. It's probably mm. uh, working them cores to some extent. Uh, oh, I wonder yeah. if Noita would be um, Noita, Noita, because mm. uh, I don't. That's all the. I feel like all the load on that would be CPU mm. kind of physics calculations. That'd probably be nice and smooth. Um, yeah, I assume you've been through all the. Uh, like the Infinity Engine up-to-dates by Beamdog, like all Baldur's mm. Gates and Icewind Dales and things like that. Uh, and probably all the old Fallouts as well. You've got a lot of old RPGs to chew through. If you don't like isometric games, then you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's a few things to get started with. <laughs> uh, he actually has a PS... Um, uh, since it seems like non-media, sorry, non-game media is fair play now, uh, I'd like to recommend Goblin Punch, with plenty of goblin stuff, Amash, thank you, uh, for some creative RPG stuff. Uh, I also think that Chris in particular might like To Like the Lightning, um, which is T-O-O, Like the Lightning, one of the most thought-provoking and original sci-fi stories I've read in a while. Wow. Hmm. I will pass that on to Chris when he emerges from his burrow. Um... Aaron writes, casks and corkscrews. This is, this is such a good anecdote. <laughs> this is a very, this is appeals to me at a, a very core level. Chris's story about being betrayed by basic physics and body mechanics resulting in being thrown to the ground by a motionless radiator reminded me of a similar run-in I had with fluid dynamics. 
In an attempt to rid myself of some persistent sinus issues, I'd begun to use a neti pot. The procedure is that you pour a solution in one nostril while holding your head in a certain way until it pours out of the other nostril. <laughs> one morning, a co-worker asked me for help with the printer. I pulled the paper tray open and bent down to look for a paper jam. As I turned my head to peer up into the printer, an amount of liquid, which I would describe as alarming, poured out <laughs> of my nose. I think I froze for a few seconds. Eventually, I extracted a wad of paper, closed the tray, stood up, observed a look on my co-worker's face that was squarely between horror and bamusement, <laughs> shrugged my shoulders and said, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last time you were less ashamed of a bodily discharge than you probably should have been? Just kidding. Please don't answer that. Pod tidings, Aaron. Uh, Claymore writes, Dear CNC, in episode 299, Chris mentioned, uh, uh, what's it? What does FFG stand for? Final Flight, Fantasy Flight. Fantasy, Fantasy Flight, right? Yeah. Fantasy Fan Flight Games. Fantasy Flight Games Genesis system. Uh, I didn't know about it because I'm a terrible hipster and I thought this whole, uh, FFG Star Wars nonsense was just a cash grab. Turns out I was wrong. The whole narrative dice system is really cool. Just crunchy enough for my narrative orientated, uh, pen and paper tastes. I came across this Mass Effect mod, which he has linked, um, for Genesis, which I thought Chris might like. Um, and it got me thinking, what game settings would you enjoy role-playing in? Why are uh, role-playing adaptations of existing video game licenses often unremarkable? Uh, thinking of Dragon Age and The Witcher there. More importantly, what class would you play in the official untitled Goose Game TTRPG? As usual, thanks for all the pods. Honk, Claymore. I'm not sure why... Uh, game-based licenses aren't as satisfying to role-play in. Mm. Um, does it feel like you're trying to recreate what happens in the game a lot more? You're trying to follow the story beats uh, in Dragon Age, for example, rather than feeling you have the freedom to go off enjoy your own? The world's yeah. not as widely built. I'm not sure if that's true. Like, I feel like the back background world-building in Dragon Age is at least equal to uh Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I think it I think it become I think it's what you first said where they're trying to recreate some of some of the kind of mm. mechanics which make the video game version successful. And I think that's probably an error like you should just take the worlds and then uh try to free them from constraints. Yeah. Like I I know it might feel like there are interesting things that you could simulate in pen and paper that exist in the video game form, but ultimately I think that's the wrong way around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any game settings that you would enjoy role playing in? Do you think? Uh, Fallout. My answer for everything is Fallout. Well, I think Disco Elysium is an amazing setting. I'd yeah. love to, uh, I'd love to explore the, the pen and paper notes that, you know, yeah. were presumably the origin stories of that world. Yeah, they said they're working on a novel. Maybe a source book will eventually appear. Mm. Uh, the big robots, uh, game signal from Tolva. Oh yeah. Had a very good, uh, background world building book mm. included with it. Lots of that nice. That was written by Cassandra Core, wasn't it? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cassandra and Jim did the writing on that. And then lots of nice little doodles from Ian McHugh as mm. well. And that had, uh, some fun little hooks in, uh, which are actually be quite fun for, uh, a role playing game. Uh, I think that's quite easy to get hold of if you bought the game. I think it's just will appear in a Steam directory somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Oh, I probably have that. I should probably look at that. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with both of those people. Daniel writes, Dear Crate and Crowbar. Oh, sorry, no. Dear Create and Crowbar. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the announcement of Crusader Kings 3, uh, there was an internet kerfuffle about the possible removal of the term Deus Vault from the game. After, after the fan base had a fit, Henrik appeared to walk back the claim that it had been removed. For the uninitiated, Deus Vault is a quote from the Declaration of the First Crusade, which has more recently become uh, a slogan for modern fascists. Sometimes people claim it's Latin for God willing and is therefore an innocuous expression of faith, but this is inaccurate. God willing would be Deo Volente, uh, which was used in that way, but Deus Vault is literally God wills it. Um, it's never been a generic expression of faith, faith, sorry, only an endorsement of holy war, or more recently, ethnic cleansing. I've been a fan of CK2, but this got me thinking about stuff in the community that's worrying to me, namely how much of the fan base seem to love joking, in inverted commas, about expelling or eradicating Jews and Muslims. I used to write that off as the usual internet horror show, but with the actual fascism on the rise in my own country, the US, it feels harder to ignore. This is especially concerning because the jokes seem more broadly popular than just among explicit white supremacists. It makes it look like the game is radicalising people. This gets to my actual question, which is kind of related to your discussion of Disco Elysium last week. In a time when fascism is having a resurgence, do game developers have a responsibility to ensure they are not publishing a recruiting tool for racist movements? To be clear, I'm not talking about whether publishing something should be permitted, just whether it's right or wrong to do. I don't mean to single out games. But given that attacks on mosques and synagogues are on the rise, I think that anyone in any industry has a moral responsibility to at least try to ensure they're not actively helping neo-Nazis grow their ranks. What do you think? Thanks for the great pod, Dan. It's hard to go against <laughs> but yeah i think he's got a good point you should be as aware as you can that the products that you make will have influences on people and while i'd say there's some wiggle room because it feels largely impossible to uh know everything yeah um, but when someone comes to you with like information is like, this is how this game is being used. This is how mm. this piece of language, what this piece of language, while you may have researched it historically, is actually its contemporary usage means something completely differently. I think you have a responsibility to react to that. Yeah, it's a tough one. Like you say, you can't, uh, I, I, you, you can't know, uh, what other contexts your words or content or creations are going to be, um, deployed in mm. uh, right uh, you can definitely take steps towards that cultural consultants exist mm. and you can hire people right, to yeah, yeah. look at what you've made and tell you exactly how offensive it is and what you've <laughs> yeah. done wrong yeah and um hopefully catch as many things as you can before they go out um it's impossible and undesirable to make an apolitical game i think mm -hmm. so on some level you have to make a choice about what messages you're reinforcing and stand by that or mm. adjust appropriately yeah it's, it's i hard. mean fuck the nazis yeah. i'll just make that clear <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's really hard to uh, know when it comes to something uh like crusader kings 2 because it's not i mean although the game and the game's community may have I have no idea. Uh, may have been infiltrated in some way by uh, by some kind of fascist resurgence. Mm. Um, it's really the, the history that they are uh, exploiting there 
right? Rather than specifically the game. The game is just a, a vector for them to uh, live out their their weird uh, white supremacist fantasies. Mm. So I wonder if something like this, the removal of a phrase which was used, for example, during the Crusades as a justification for the Crusades doesn't make any sense. I feel like... I feel like, uh, even though that, that term may have even more abominable, uh, meanings today, if it was part of the justification for the Crusades, which were themselves quite abominable, mm. like I kind of feel like that is an important thing to own as, as the history of those games. I'm keen that history, terrible history, which has in the past been championed, for example, through statues of, uh, you know, uh, Rhodes, who was an absolute uh, racist asshole, but gave lots of money to, uh, uh Oxbridge colleges and had the statues of him. Mm. Um, whether it makes sense to, to rip those down because he is part of our awful history and should, should those stains be worn with the acknowledgement that they, they exist as part of our history with shame, I guess. Yeah. Should we? <laughs> But maybe they need to be recontextualized in some way. So instead of uh, having the, these statues in prominent places where they appear to be uh, celebratory, maybe they need to be undercut with information about the person nearby saying this guy was actually a colossal shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I don't think we should hide them or, or remove them necessarily. And uh, I, I feel similarly about maybe... Uh, Deus Vault, like, if, if the game isn't doing a good enough job of expressing how flawed the motivations for the Crusades were, mm. then that's, a, that's the problem. Yeah. And I feel like the, the, the actual reality of those words being used is probably not the problem. I am going to go, uh, up to Bristol's Cabot Tower and, yeah. you know, pin a note on saying actually he was a slaving shit. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just for your information. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of notes pinned, <laughs> basically. <laughs> well, that was that was uh, an upbeat uh, question <laughs> on which to uh, end this podcast. Yes, I feel like we've maybe missed the opportunity uh, to have like an art-dominated uh, podcast. So I have a question. Oh yeah, what's your favorite Photoshop brush? Oh well, I'm at the moment uh, I'm using the Photoshop brushes courtesy of uh paul scott canavan yeah. uh, who is a very very nice man and mm. has a lovely scottish accent <laughs> and he has uh, a few tutorials uh which you can watch uh and are very informative if he doesn't lull you into a deep and peaceful sleep <laughs> with his beautiful beautiful voice um but also he uh he has a few um uh brushes uh which are which i've been playing around with very nice mm. i have to say i don't understand I've never understood really how Photoshop organizes brushes or what, what is the, what is the workflow you're meant to have with brushes? <laughs> I've never understood it. I've always been, you know, had this clutch workflow mm. and, uh, with recent Photoshop updates, that workflow has now become impossible and I have no idea what I'm doing. But every time I click something, it seems to change which tool I'm using rather than just the <laughs> shape of the brush. Uh, I don't, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm completely lost again. So there you go. What's your favorite brush? My favorite brush, uh, I stole from, uh, Edward Kaplan, who is the, who was the lead concept artist on, uh, uh, the timey wimey, uh, young girl adventure. 
What? The the adventure story where life is strange. Can, yes, right. <laughs> yeah, the timey wimey young girl adventure. Of course. Yes. Sorry, I don't know why I didn't get that. That, that does make perfect sense. I stole a brush off him while we worked at Frontier together, and it's kind of this blocky marker mm-hmm. uh, brush, which mm-hmm. is like painting with a sharpie. Oh, uh, it's really nice and chunky, and most importantly, it it's impossible to be precise or accurate with it. Ah, yeah, that's useful. Is super useful uh, for me in particular. I come from a 3D background when I'm painting stuff I draw out polygons and hard edges and stuff and what I should be doing is just being really messy and capturing shapes and stuff uh, so that one's real good yeah I find it very difficult um, to not over um, over define things over render things mm. and it's, it's, it's even worse really on PC than it is in reality because mm. you could have a lot of zoom on PC <laughs> and you'll zoom in and you spend like two hours, uh, you know, defining somebody's fingernail and yeah. then you'll zoom out and you realize, oh, the rest of it's a cartoon and this guy <laughs> has just a really super high definition fingernail. <laughs> then you delete it and then you've wasted your entire afternoon. Um, but you've been through the process and what other people will see as just like a splodge of a finger you know you've actually refined to the point of capturing the perfect shape and then taking it back again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not very good at the uh, the gestural drawing thing. I feel like uh, that's something I should... I should. I really need to improve on. Really, it's, it's just practice. I just don't practice enough. Yeah. That's the worst thing about concept artists. It's watching them start a new piece and capture the human form in three brush strokes. Mm. It's done. Great. Yeah. Thanks for that. Absolute assholes. <laughs> Who who are the most annoying concept artists? Paul Scott Canavan, Leisha Hannigan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that because they listen. Uh, I think I think Paul's actually Paul's um, tutorials are really good because he he's very kind of upfront about the techniques that he's using to mm. achieve the things. And I uh, I feel I don't know if this is true that I I feel that some tutorials out there have a little bit of smoke and mirrors to make it look <laughs> like the people are more savantish than they perhaps are. Yes. And I think uh, Paul's completely open about when he's using photo reference. Mm. And that doesn't make his pieces any less sophisticated. Yeah. It makes them really, really good. There was a weird <laughs> movement a while ago in digital art about people criticizing other people for using photo reference and mm. photo bashing and things like that. It seems massively elitist and totally counterproductive i have no idea where it came from what was the point the, the point is the end result right? exactly i mean how you get there is not really that important i mean you've tried i've tried to draw a horse from scratch with yeah. no reference fucking horses it's not good they aren't real you can't even imagine them uh spath spath i think oh. is a very annoying artist he does that capturing form thing yeah he's uh um, the, the, the a lot of halo and destiny early concept art is sparse yes. and a lot of, which is why halo is dominated by geometric shapes because sparse just you know mm-hmm. drops a giant circle into an image <laughs> and suddenly that looks fucking amazing yeah um mike mignolo is more of an illustrator but there's mm-hmm. lots of artists influenced by him uh and he has He's conspicuously said fuck perspective several <laughs> times and got away with it and made beautiful art without yeah. perspective, uh, which is pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah. I feel, uh, I feel hard done by it. I think I was whining to you about this in the, uh, in a, in a I think it comes up quite day. a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, you know, when, when I was growing up, I didn't have, you know, the internet and mm. uh, an endless supply of photo references for literally everything I could possibly imagine. Uh, which is why, uh, you know, I'm shit. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm jealous of the kids these days who uh, who just need to type things into Google and they've, they've got a hand. I know. I had to look at my own hand. Oh, God, I think who has time for that? There's it helps immeasurably as well to see the different kinds of art you can specialize in as a professional too. Like going through GCSEs, there was no career plan for hmm. GCS for academic art. Yeah. Uh, the impression was you might, you might go off and paint portraits or you might maybe get a job drawing cars and like technical drawing <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Like the idea of concept artists, production artists, illust mm. like digital illustration and stuff like that was just such an alien concept. Those people must have existed. I mean, those careers yeah. have been around for a while. And Star Wars yeah. was there. Like people have been doing it. Film production has been like matte artists and so on have mm. been uh, involved in that for ages. And just, yeah, I don't think art's taught particularly well at school no no it's a shame hmm. i think uh, i i missed out on being taught any practical skills really uh in terms of art like we were given you know a piece of charcoal and uh told to go away and uh think deeply about uh <laughs> profound thoughts and then come up with something that would you know mm. be a satirical critique of blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> and um that's not really i mean that's the, i mean unless you want to go into uh, fine art and uh, sell your painting paintings to Russian oligarchs who are just using it as a way of money laundering, <laughs> then that's uh, that's fine. But other, outside of that particular career path, mm. you know, you need skills. You need actual kind of rigorous training and, yeah. and, and uh, a natural understanding. Uh, sorry, rather, not a natural understanding, but an understanding that's reinforced through simple experience of how light falls on objects and bounces off them and what techniques you can use to capture that. And at some and, point, you will have to draw a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a drawer full of poster paints in a dark room that isn't even dark doesn't really cut it. So, uh, yeah. 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 Art chat. Good art chat. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's a good way. That's a good way to end the podcast. Yeah, a bit more upbeat than, than yeah. fascism. <laughs> uh, but if you do have questions, you can send them to us. Other questions. In fact, we did miss out uh, on some questions this week because we felt they were probably more apt for a, a larger uh, segment of the podcasting crew to answer. So we'll leave those for later. So if you didn't have your question run out, then maybe, maybe it, it won't be uh, rejected scornfully by Chris next or week. Oh, you tease. <laughs> uh, but if you have other questions, please send them to questions at com. What happens next? Twitter? Twitter. That's uh, Craig and Crowbar. <laughs> Who are we individually? I am J-O-H-N underscore A-double-R. John R. Yeah. At the Twitters. You can see how it works. I'm at Marsh Davis. And thanks to uh, our Discord community uh, and the many Patreon backers within them who support this podcast, you can watch our videos on YouTube.com slash Craig Growbar and visit our Patreon at Patreon.com slash Craig Growbar. And our Discord channel is linked at our website, creatingcrowbar.com. I think I've covered all the bases. It sounds like it's right. It is right. Let's say it's right. And let's say thanks, thanks for listening.